to be here with you all this morning and today we are going to be talking about music music I know everything is a lot different in terms of us being able to go to church and fellowship the way that we're used to being able to do so but one thing that has not changed is our ability to get together and celebrate through music today on our show we're going to have a wonderful guest Dr. Tony McNeil uh, who is a music and worship extraordinaire and has a lot of experience so he's going to be sharing with us but before we get started I did want to share with you all that uh, I've been sharing a lot of resources with people regarding help and assistance that you can get for the coronavirus and COVID-19 particularly in the Atlanta area so if you want to get uh, more information about some resources I have things where seniors are getting free groceries children are getting uh, food and groceries during this time period there's utility assistance and all sorts of things that I have been sharing on my personal Facebook page as well as some of my group Facebook pages so uh, if you want to reach out to me and get some of that information please feel free to email me you can reach me at kj at shinyhalo.org that's the uh, letter k the letter j at shinyhalo.org s-h-i-n-y-h-a-l-o-d i mean period o-r-g so uh, you can reach me there and also yesterday was a very special day uh, if you've listened to the show before you probably heard me speak about my grandfather and yesterday was my grandfather's 89th birthday so I want to wish my grandfather Reverend John W. Dow a very happy 89th birthday and believe me when I tell you I feel so blessed to still have my grandfather with me he is my only surviving grandparent but we have a wonderful relationship he's my mentor and he is just so helpful so I'm just very happy that he's uh, still with us and celebrating 89 long healthy and very mentally astute years but we were talking last night I called him to wish him a happy birthday but as often happens he started to give me some advice and started to encouraging encourage me and one of the things that he said we were just talking about you know life and ministry and one of the things that he said he's is he said listen baby he always says baby listen baby don't be afraid to let your anointing shine through don't be afraid to let your anointing shine through and i just wanted to share that with you all because i think that somebody else probably needs to hear that i know that one of the things that i have struggled with is being you know, multivocational or, or bivocational, being an ordained minister, but also being an attorney and sometimes not knowing which hat to wear when. And my grandfather said, you wear them all at once and don't be afraid to let all of those things uh, be known to people. And so I'm walking in that spirit this morning. And that's really what this show is all about. Halo, let your light shine. So the other thing that um, I thought about in, in talking about this music today is that Really, my first entree into music, into ministry was through music. Granted, my grandfather was a pastor, so I went to church. You know, like people talk about PKs and pastor kids, but, you know, pastor grandkids have to deal with the same kinds of things. I remember growing up, 
you know, getting on big buses, going on bus trips with my grandfather when he had to preach. And he started off Baptist, but switched to Kojic. And, you know, we would just be going everywhere with him. And it was the same kind of experiences as people go through as, um, as preacher kids. But I was never really, even though my grandfather was the one up there preaching, and maybe because he was the one up there preaching most times, I never really got into the sermon. I, he was always a great teacher, so I was thankful for that because he would tell you about the biblical stories that he was using so and use great imagery. But, you know, growing up, I wasn't always interested in the sermon. But what I was always interested in and got into was the music. And I know that I'm not alone in that. I've heard many people say that they connect through music and you can connect through music. And I think that's why worship and music are such important parts of the service. And so today we have on our show, uh, Dr. Tony McNeil, who I met when I was um, at Ebenezer Baptist church where I, that's where I was licensed and ordained. And at the time he was the minister of music there, or actually the director of worship in the arts, because it's more than just music. It's a whole worship experience in all the arts, but to be there, Clearly, he had to be a very, very talented musician. And so I'm so fortunate to call him friend, and we are so fortunate to have him on the show. So, Dr. McNeil, are you there? I am here, Kimberly. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. How are you today? Awesome. Good morning. I am wonderful. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm I'm privileged to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So... I know, as I mentioned, we met at Ebenezer, but you have since gone on and done, you know, bigger things and uh, other things. So where, what are you currently doing? I am currently now serving as a professor of music and chairman of the music department at Clinton College in Rock Hill, South Carolina. It is a small HBCU uh, affiliated with the A&E Zion Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. It is the sister school to Livingstone College. Okay. A lot of people, more people may have heard of Livingstone. It's in Salisbury, North Carolina. Absolutely. And Rock, Rock Hill is about an hour away from uh, Salisbury. And so Clinton College is situated in, in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and I'm privileged to be there. Just finished my first year. Well, congratulations. I remember when you were starting there, but I did not know that it was a sister school to Livingstone, and I do know Livingstone. I had some younger cousins who went there. Yeah. but And weren't you teaching at another school before that? I was. I was affiliated with the Johnson C. Smith Theological Seminary in Atlanta, doing work for them. Um, and uh, I also spent some time in Houston, Texas, at Texas Southern University. Uh, I was there for a year as a visiting professor. Wonderful. So let me ask you this. I know when people are into music that they usually start at an early age. How old were you when you started being into music? Oh, my goodness. Kim, I was about, uh, when I started piano lessons, I was about six or seven years old, Um, maybe a little younger than that. But I knew uh, even before that, that music was going to be my life. I I knew early, very early, that I was going to do music. And so you started taking music, piano lessons at six or seven. How was that? It, it It 
was good. It was what I wanted to do. It was the thing that I knew I was ordained to do. I didn't have the vocabulary for that at that time. But um, I remember waking up, well, uh, I was about maybe four or five years old, uh, one Christmas morning, and walked into the living room, and I saw a piano, a toy piano, sitting under the Christmas tree. And I remember in that moment, standing in the archway, looking at that piano, hearing a voice saying, that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Walk towards it. Wonderful. And that is what you have done. So how did you <laughs> go from, you know, knowing that you music was going to be uh, the rest of yeah. your life to being involved in the religious or church setting? Well, uh, my desire to um, pursue music was cultivated in the AME Zion Church. Uh, Oak Grove AME Zion Church is my home church back in eastern North Carolina. And that's the environment that cultivated the gift. Uh, I did take piano lessons from um, an African-American lady uh, in the same county in which I live. I, I was very privileged to grow up during a time where um, there were educated black folks who came back to the communities that raised them and taught in those communities, either in the public schools or even out of their own home. And my piano teacher was Mrs. Rue, and she was one of those teachers that was situated in a certain part of the county, and everybody in that part of the county went to her for piano lessons. And maybe in another part of the county, there was another educated black music teacher, and those kids over there on that side of the county went to that woman or that man for piano lessons. It, that, that was a great time, a, a wonderful time. We, we, got, we received teaching, private lessons in voice and piano from people who look just like us. That is wonderful because, honestly, I started my son in piano. We stopped, and I want to start again, but I have struggled finding a good instructor who is, one, not too far, two, you know, very trained, and I certainly have not had any success finding anyone of color. So that is definitely a, a privilege to have had that experience. Absolutely. And it, it was formational for our community to, to have these gifted and trained, degreed people uh, situated uh, in various parts of our communities, and they saw it as a part of their calling come back and redeposit or deposit um, what they've learned at the university into the lives of the people that, that helped raise them and cultivate this. That's wonderful. So in your experience, you know, and I want to talk about, you know, some of the changes to, to, to the worship service now, but in your experience, being someone who's highly trained, how are you able to work with people in the church who are maybe not as polished as you are? Well, um, one of the things that I, I try to do as an educator is to and not establish um, this uh, hierarchy of learning that I, even though I may come to the conversation with a little bit more experience, but I was trained to see myself as a partner in learning with people regardless of their educational level. 
I think there's value in um, understanding that our knowledge is not our own. Our, our knowledge um, becomes a commodity of the community um, that should be shared and valued. Uh, and everybody has knowledge. Um, there's a saying uh, from my um, old community that all my knowledge didn't come from college. <laughs> and so I love being in conversation with people who may not have a degree in music, but have life experience or life experiences that they bring to a conversation. And I see it as an exchange of gifts. I give what I know. They give me what they know. And each set of knowledge is a gift. It's, it's valued. And, and, you know, just because I have a degree does not make me any better than anybody else. Um, I went to get that degree to bring it back, like, like I said earlier, to bring that knowledge back to my community to share it. And, and that's wonderful. You know, I think about, you know, some of my own experiences where I've had choir directors or, you know, musicians who can sometimes be a little condescending when people, mm-hmm. you know, don't come in there and, and they haven't perfected all the notes. And I always find that a little disheartening because, one, you are, you're in church and it's supposed to be about, yeah. you know, praise, not putting somebody down. But how do you, yeah. as someone who, you know, deals with, you know, all different kinds of, uh, of people, how are you able to strike a balance between wanting to have your your people sound good and, 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 and perform well, but also understanding that people have different levels of, of gifts? That's a very good question. Um, it, number one, I think as a worship leader or a leader of worship and arts in a particular community, it, it should be part of that leader's responsibility to know the gifts that surround that community. Um, and any time that you have a group of volunteers, mm-hmm. uh, they, these are people who come to the ministry at all ability levels, you need to find some kind, some way to assess those gifts. Um, not to say that one is better than the other, but to know what representation you have in the room. Mm-hmm. So it informs your teaching. It informs how you interact with those people. Um, it it informs the, the choices you make in terms of the songs that you sing, um, you know, so that they can um, offer worship and music at an excellent level. Um, I have to, uh, as a leader, constantly um, keep my pedagogy uh, in check, and that's just the way that I teach and make sure that I'm not condescending or I'm not making assumptions um, about music that my community may or may not know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so a lot of times I find myself teaching about music as I'm teaching them music. And I may say a term, uh, a musical term, but I, I probably need to spend a couple of seconds unpacking that term and not assume that everybody knows what I'm talking about. But there's a way to do that and keep your rehearsal moving so that people are learning and it, it, uh, growing in their experience of, of music and worship as you're teaching. 
and I think that's a wonderful point because, you know, I think the same thing applies to preaching. You know, if I am, am preaching, I might use a term that's a theological term. Yeah. And it's one thing just to use that term and pretend as though everybody understands it. But it's another thing to use it as an opportunity to grow people, which I think, you know, sometimes is overlooked in the music and worship ministry, that that's an also an, an opportunity to grow the people who are part of the music ministry, but also to grow the people who are uh, receiving and, and listening to the music ministry. Absolutely, Kimberly. Yes, uh, that that's so important. And, um, you know, art, uh, creative folks, music folks, drama, dance, uh, the, whole full, the whole gamut of the arts, we are so performance-driven, or we can be so performance-driven. And that's not, that's not a bad word, because worship in, in itself is very performative. Mm-hmm. It, in, it involves us doing stuff. Uh, but uh, especially for those of us that have gone through the academy or had some extensive training outside of the church, um, we can be wired toward performance. And I think... Um, sometimes that can get the best of us, and we lo- we could easily lose sight of the bigger vision for worship, um, which is to glorify God and to um, to retell the story of God in Christ uh, through music. That you know we we become obsessed with the perfection of telling that story, um, and I, I I think there's we have to work every day and every week and um, every month, every year, to try to um, find that balance between pursuing excellence and telling the story authentically through music. Right. You know, I think now, especially with a lot of people having seen the Clark Clark Sisters movie and that scene where uh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Maddie Mass Clark is uh, throwing her shoe at somebody... (laughs) And, yeah. you know, and everybody's just talking about it. Like, I better not go back to choir practice and, and have somebody throw that shoe at me. But, you know, it does raise that point where you want your people to take it seriously. Yeah. And give their best. Right. Because we are doing it to glorify God. So you want your people to show up and be prepared. But you also have to understand, like what you were saying, there's that balance between performance and perfection and, uh, and praise. I'm just, you know, I didn't mean to make that alliteration, but, you know, it is an important part of it. It is, and um, it, and especially when you're working with uh, volunteers, um, it's, there's a different, okay, I think, leadership protocol if you had a choir of paid singers. Then maybe that would warrant some certain types of behaviors if people are coming in there and they're getting a paycheck to sing. And, you know, some churches have budgets so that they, they do have some paid singers in their choirs. But more... Often uh, the case is, you know, church choirs are made up of volunteers or a mixture of some of mostly volunteers and some paid singers. There are, variety, there are themes on that variation. Right, but uh, my experience has been uh, in the church working with more volunteer singers. And so I have to remember that because um, volunteers possess a powerful, <laughs> um, uh, they 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 possess an awesome amount of power, and that is the power to stay home. That is the power <laughs> to say no. That is the power to say, I'm not going back to that rehearsal. Yes. 
and then that and doesn't so, look good on the leader. Yeah, absolutely. And so we as leaders have to remember um, the power of volunteerism. It is a powerful thing. When people are not getting paid, you know, they they have the right to vote with their feet and with their pocketbooks however they want to vote. And so my job uh, as a music minister is to create an environment where those volunteers will want to come back and give the very best of themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're right. I mean, it takes a very good director of worship and arts to pull out the best in people and to make people want to come and, and, and give their best. Absolutely. And I've seen you in action and I know that you inspire that. Thank you. I try. <laughs> you do. You do effectively. Well, let me I'll switch up for just a minute because I think about people like my mother, for example, who is very, very much into her choir. And that's such a part of her, her life and her church mm-hmm. experience. You know, she's in the choir at church. She's a member of the Georgia, I don't know, the music workshop or whatever that big choir is. The Gospel Music Workshop of America. Yes, in the Atlanta chapter. And so she's Atlanta always chapter, gone and yeah. singing. I'm like, good gracious, can you come watch your grandkids? But um, <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, given these th- this new environment that we're living in, I think there are many people who no longer have that connection, both from being a part of the choir and from actually you know, people who may have been, like I mentioned, who get a lot of their energy and, and where the music is a, such a large part of the worship experience. So given mm-hmm. that reality, what are some things, what are some ways that people can still feel connected to worship when now, you know, everybody's doing it on Zoom or, or doing it on Facebook Live and music may not be as emphasized? That's a good, great question. Um, I am I'm, Currently, I'm not serving a church um, part-time or full-time uh, because of my work at the uh, college. Um, but I have spent significant time over the past couple of weeks in a lot of um, Zoom meetings and Facebook Live, panel discussions on um, conference calls, and, um, you know, just listening in on a lot of discussions about the state of music and worship especially, particularly in the black church, and how it uh, has been shifted and our ways of experiencing worship um, have been changed for for quite a while. So um, as people are sitting home, I think one of the things that people are hungry for is to recreate the normal that they know on Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday night, whatever their night or nights of worship is, how can they have that same experience where they are in their home? Uh, people are yearning for that. People are wanting to get back into community physically and sociologically um, with people uh, because that was an important part of their weekly routine. If I got through the week, going to church, going to choir rehearsal, mm-hmm. you know, going to Bible study. And so now we have been thrown into uh, a way that demands that we create that on our own or that we, we cultivate that on our own uh, in our, you know, within the confounds of our own home. Um, and it, it's been challenging for people because 
we are accustomed to having that done for us. We go to church, and there is a rehearsed choir sitting in the loft. Mm-hmm. Now you have to be your own choir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there, there are all of these things that um, we have we have become accustomed to that um, were in place for us, and now we have to find a way to fill that void. Mm-hmm. So. I've been uh, encouraging people, uh, number one, uh, on Sundays or Saturdays, whatever your day of worship is, uh, pull out your laptop, pull out your iPad if you have one, or your cell phone, um, or or whatever way that connects you to the virtual world. And um, I think it's a good thing to church hop online. Mm -hmm. You can bounce from church to church denomination to denomination, see what other people are doing, what they are saying. There are some churches that are out there that are doing some really, really creative things, some very good good things, in, excuse me, in, in, in terms of online worship. Um, I am I, I'm encouraged by the work and the ingenuity of some of my colleagues in ministry and how they have taken this um, COVID situation as an opportunity to uh, redesign what we know as worship. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also some churches who are who are struggling with this technological age um, that we're in, um, or that COVID has thrown us in. Because there were churches, there are churches that were not streaming; they had no intent to stream services. Um, maybe because of, uh, of the pastor's um, uh, um, inability to um, um, come to grips with technology, mm-hmm. or I don't know, maybe their budget. I don't know. There are a variety of reasons why some churches were not streaming. But this situation with COVID-19 has, uh, for churches that want to survive, I, and I hate to say it this way, they were violently pulled into the whirlwind of technology. Mm-hmm. Which they should have been and, anyway. Most churches yeah, should have been doing that been, anyway. Yeah, and yeah, and whatever um, resistance that they had in the past, they had to let go of it if they wanted to, if they wanted to survive. Mm-hmm. So we have churches who are um, fall, who have fallen off the bike, okay, with the training wheels on it, and mm-hmm. and and some of them have fallen off, and they get back up and get back on the bike the following week, and they are getting better at it. Right. And there's some, some live streams I'm, I've, I've revisit, you know, uh, go back the next week, and there's a, a, a new element to the worship presentation. Uh, so people are learning, people are trying, people are, are, are making mistakes, but they're coming back a little better the next time. So I'm encouraged by that. Um, I, I encourage people to get online, um, Visit various worship experiences um, other than your own church. Mm-hmm. You'll be surprised at, at, at what you, you see. Um, join a devotional group. Mm-hmm. There are all types of devotional groups on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, um, that can help cultivate your worship life even throughout the week, um, in addition to whatever other devotional things people may be doing. Join an online devotional group. Um, there are a lot of prayer movements that are going on on social media. One in particular 
um, the Proc- uh, Tammy DeWitt Proctor Conference, yeah. which is Wonderful based out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. They are doing a service of prayers and songs every single day of the week, uh, Monday through Friday, um, from about 8, 8, 8 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., and it is a 30-minute devotional that you can uh, log into on their Facebook page, and there's a, a musician and a prayer warrior, and there's music and there's prayer, and um, it, it's a great time. It's a great way to start your day. So those kinds of things I would encourage people to look for on social media. Wonderful, wonderful. Just uh, we're uh, getting close to our time, but I just want to ask you another question. From your perspective, how do you feel, what do you feel that some of the long-term changes are going to be as a result of this experience that we're having? One of the things that I'm most concerned about in terms of things that would be different for worship is singing. Um, I've been on several um, conference calls where experts have have told us um, that singing is not safe, Mm. Uh, mainly because of the aerosols and the droplets that uh, come from the singing voice. Oh, wow, never thought about Uh, that. Yes, that singing, especially corporate singing, singing in groups, it is not safe. Mm. Um, And so the nature uh, and, and the role of singing in worship is, is probably going to be very, very different for a, for a while. Uh, and we are trying to find our colleagues, my, myself and colleagues all across the world, actually, are trying to find ways, safe ways, to uh, incorporate songs in worship. It may just be one person being the singer for the service. Um, it's also, COVID-19 has also jeopardized congregational singing. Wow. We have been encouraged not to do it. Wow. Well, Dr. McNeil, that is my cue that we have to wrap up. I hear you playing this little light of mine in the background. That's Dr. McNeil who plays the intro and the outro. But thank you so much for being on. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Again, if you want to reach out to me, if you have some questions and resources, you can reach me at kj at halo at shinyhalo.org, kj at shinyhalo.org. And I will be back this time next week. Until then, please remember to let your light shine. Thanks a lot for listening. Take care. Your station for the best inspiration, informative talk, sports, and real soul music. Atlanta's incredible radio, WIGO AM 1400.